Hello, and welcome to the Roving Social Worker Podcast. I am Jay, your Roving Social Worker. Before I lead into the intro for the social work identities pieces, I wanted to reiterate the importance of self-reflection and growth. This is a lifelong process. It doesn't end with the last chapter of a book, with a certification, or even a degree. It is ongoing, sometimes uncomfortable, and we do mess up along the way. I will not speak for my guests, but I will say that I am constantly learning and often unlearning harmful ideas, behaviors, and processes. I hope that listeners can hear that growth as both the podcast and myself age. So before we really begin, I want to add a content warning. Some of the discussions may cause the listener discomfort. Uh, It may also cause reflection. Additionally, it does contain sensitive topics and often strong language because, come on, it's the Roving Social Worker podcast. In the last few episodes, we have been exploring social work identities. Initially, the project's goal was to discuss individual social worker identities. This meant hearing from grad school applicants, current students, social workers in the community, our radical and rabble-rousing social workers, and our social work educators and leaders. After weeks of overwhelming support, I started interviewing these unique individuals, asking them two questions. Who are you and why social work? It is up to the individual social worker to decide on what they would like to share and where they would like to take the conversation. Um, There is no expectation for anyone to place themselves in a compromising position with their family, their community, school, or employer. Remember, this is a public podcast, and when things go to the internet, that is where they outlive us. But that's enough rambling for me. I will let my next guest introduce themselves. So hello, my name is Laura Hogue. I am a psychotherapist and a community organizer activist. Um, You asked me how I identify myself and I guess the short version would be queer, white woman, um, social worker. Um, But I've been thinking about this too because I have a family, like in my family there's you know, I'm part of a family that is gender expansive and racially diverse and, um, you know, not all, you know, it's, it looks heteronormative from the outside, I because my primary partner is a man. Um, but I tend to be a little bit on the outside of most rooms I'm in for one reason or another um, and also have the privilege of passing should I choose to. So it's sort of a weird It's a weird space to be in because I think a lot of times my identity is assumed to be one thing by most of the people that I'm in community with at any given time, unless I intentionally tell people who I am. So, um, which is, you know, something I've had to really think about, um, especially in the context of conversations about privilege and oppression and, um, and responsibility. So, yeah. So I guess that's, that's who I am. <laughs> and why social work? Why social work? You know, I don't want to give some sort of like trite answer, but I also will <laughs> say that I have always, I sort of came out of the womb with my fist raised, <laughs> you know? Um, and I remember, a memory comes to mind when I think about this. So I remember when I was in elementary school and 
it was sort of that age where people are starting to find their tribe and, you know, kids are acknowledging difference and not always nice to one another. And I remember I was two things about like, I think it was fourth grade or fifth grade. One being the group I was sort of running with, I guess, starting to be starting they were being mean to somebody else I really liked. And I just didn't know what to do with that. And I have this very clear memory of being on the top of the monkey bars and just sort of like observing, like getting a bird's eye view of like the playground. <laughs> like, And I remember my friend came over to me and he was like, you know, Laura, if you don't play with us, then you're not going to have any friends. And I remember like sort of shrugging and being like, meh, you know, okay. Like <laughs> I didn't, because I didn't really know what to do because I didn't really want to be part of this sort of pushing away of people, but I also, you know, didn't, I wasn't really, I, I knew that I wanted community, but I was just really figuring it out from an early age. Like, how do I be part of pe part of a group of people and part of a community and also sort of hold to my personal values? Um, and, uh, and then the other memory I have from that, around that time was we used to play this game, Red Rover. And I'm not sure, I might be dating myself, but it's sort of this game where you link up with the with your friends, you know, arm in arm, and you form two lines. And one line says, you know, Red Rover, Red Rover sends someone over. And that person will run and try and break through the line. And if they break through, I don't know if you're out or you have to join the other line or whatever, but I was very small. I'm a very small person. And I would always look for... I had this one friend, Scott, and he would always be like, come on, Laura, like, I got you. He's really big and really tall. Um, and that just left a real mark in me because I just feel like we have to be able to link up in a way where we hold the line because um, life is going to come at us at any given time. And there are going to be some people that are smaller or have less power or are, you know, are unable to really hold up against life circumstances. Um, and so, you know, why social work? Like, that's just the lens I see the world through. And in fact, I used that story in my personal statement when I applied to grad school. Um, I've just always been scanning the room for inequity. And um, and I've always had a mouth. Like, I've always been a disruptor. <laughs> um, and, and, so, and so social work was a really good fit. Um, a really good fit for me. And why don't you go into, like, I, I know a lot about you, <laughs> at least through Twitter, and we've had some private conversations, so I have to remember, like, there are things I know about you and what you're doing. Um, I also kind of stalk you online a little bit, or watch watch you, maybe watching's a better word, not stalking, but I do, I look at your work, and um, why don't you tell us a little bit more about what you're doing now, um, both uh, social work cares, and then if you want to talk about what you do as you're like nine, we'll call it the nine to five, what your other job is. Right. Well, I am a psychotherapist. I'm a trauma therapist, and I specialize in addictions and working with LGBTQ individuals, um, specifically trans people. Um, <clears throat> so my nine, to, I guess my nine to five, I wish it was that, but, <laughs> but I, you know, I am in private practice and I do a lot of clinical work. So that's, that's like one hat that I wear. And then the other hat is in activism in, and I, and I'm working right now in a few different, um, realms, one being social work cares, which is a group of social workers, anti-racist educators who are committed to, uh, dismantling white supremacy and social work education. And so my role in that organization is to do a lot of the online work. So we just had a Twitter chat, which was really great with Dr. Beck from um, 
Georgia State University, Dr. Elizabeth Beck, who has done a lot of work in um, reconciliation um, and prison reform. Um, and that was really great. You know, I'm still learning how to do that piece. Um, but I also, um, you know, just sort of keep, I try my best to engage online in a way that models difficult conversations, right? And, um, and you know, I'm successful in that to a certain extent. And then I'm held accountable when I'm not successful, which I appreciate. But, um, you know, it's really important to me that, you know, social work profession, you know, Charlie Yearwood, right? So she does a lot of work too, but mm -hmm. said it really well on this recent podcast that we were on, but um, that we're set up to have these difficult conversations, right? But we haven't really examined our own selves um, in a way that's been productive and really challenges our own field to move forward. Um, and that's not casting judgment as much as being intentional in analyzing and um, owning when our our actions are outside of our principles and our values. And so, you know, I think that one of my strengths is being able to sit in discomfort. Um, and that's for reasons that I probably won't want to get into in here. I've got, you know, I've got my stories, but I, and, and so I, I want to encourage other people to be able to do that, especially social workers, because if we really want to be radical when it comes to change and, and transforming systems, we have to be able to do the hard work of modeling that in challenging our own internal systems and being uncomfortable when people say, Hey, you know, what you said was really, you know, not okay. Um, you know, we can talk about microaggressions all day long, but at some point we have to call them acts of violence and hold ourselves accountable um, to the impact of those, what we call micro um, transgressions on people who, people of color and how, or, or any marginalized population, you know? Um, and so I don't know if that made sense, but. Oh, no, it, it does. I, I was just thinking, you know, we, the part of our conversation is not going to be uh, aired. I'll use that word. Yeah. Um, but we were talking about that microaggression because you and I are very similar yeah. We do have our differences, obviously, as far as identity, but we do share a lot of similarities in that. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, you know, I kind of get that it, it is violence, it is damaging. Um, and unfortunately, for all the different identities within ourselves and our family, it's, you get to the point where you just get numb to it. And mm -hmm. that's really hard and it's really hard to talk about that because we do pass we do pass right. as you know just normal white women cisgender mm -hmm. we do pass as that and it, it's not true um but we can kind of walk away from that and it's talking about that piece maybe with other white social workers i've found kind of sharing that has helped break down like looking at the micro looking at it as violence and kind of reflecting on ourselves. And I feel like the lat, the series of podcasts has been helpful to a lot of students, younger, so any, not just younger social workers, but people who've been in the field for a while because they start to reflect on it. They're thinking, Oh, this person is talking about this. I never thought about that. Um, I get a lot of private messages through different platforms of people saying, you know, I've never heard this term before. Mm -hmm you know, I started following you or I never thought of it this way or, you know, you were talking to so-and-so and they said this and it, it really 
you know, made me think this. And a lot of them are white. A lot of them are from the U.S., a couple from Canada. And then I also have social workers who come from other communities, um, African-American, Black, whatever Mm -hmm. their identity is. And it's like, oh, you're talking about this. And I know you guys have seen that, too. And I've seen it a lot on Twitter with Social Work Cares, um, you know, making people realize that this is an issue, but that we care and that we are here. Um, Right. I've had a couple of like... um, on Facebook, someone reached out to me and it's like, it's so good to know that there are other queer social workers who are non-binary. Oh, I bet. I've never met one. I've never met one before and you're one of them. And I'm like, there's more of us. I'm you sure. know what's so sad is that, you know, I don't know for you. For, so for me as a queer woman in a relationship with a man, um, people will talk about bisexual women, queer women, in front of me as if I don't exist, right? And unless I come out and tell people repeatedly who I am, I am sort of at the mercy of people's assumptions and those microaggressions, they go sort of unchallenged unless I'm intentionally putting myself out there at any given time. I imagine that happens with you too, where it's sort of people erase who you are because you know, by assuming something else. And you have to sort of ask yourself, or I have to sort of ask myself, I don't want to put that on you, but whether or not I have the bandwidth at any given time to really go there. And I think it does speak to even the research that we have in terms of, I don't think we're there yet with non-binary identity. I hope we get there faster, but we certainly have research with bisexual identity and there being positive correlations with mental health complications in larger proportion than we are seeing even in gay, lesbian, and heterosexual people. So, um, you know, it's, I get those messages too, and I get them from my students. Like if I come out to my students, I've had so many emails from students being like, thank you so much for saying that because otherwise we're having these conversations about they, them, or not in terms of pronouns, but like those people, these people, without really acknowledging that that person could literally be sitting right next to you, you know? (laughs) Yes. And I, there's the, the reason I will pass in situations is obvious. Well, not obviously, but often for safety. Yeah. Um, Safety of maintaining my job, Mm -hmm. safety of not being hurt because I have been threatened before with physical violence. And so I've spent a good chunk of my life just allowing people to use the pronouns they think are appropriate and to call me, uh, call me things, assume things about Mm -hmm. me because honestly it's, it's easier. And that's horrible to say that, but it's, there's also the safety issue. Like, am I ready for a fist fight right now? If someone feels that threatened by me, am I ready to lose my job? I'm the primary income. No, I I just can't. So um, this recent jobs and I've had many though, I've been here for a year, but in other like travel jobs, um, the second I said something, it made it that much harder for me and they didn't fire me, but I was definitely ostracized. Um, part of it was they found out that my husband's black. Mm. And so that caused a problem. And then some of them found out because they they realized I had a podcast or whatever, and they listened to it and they found out other identities. And some people were okay, but most were not. Mm. And so I had, but I had to stay here and I had to do this job and they weren't going to fire me because they, I mean, 
they'd have to figure out why. And there was no reason job performance that they could let me go. Mm-hmm. They could have easily ended the contract, but you know, it's, am I safe? Yeah. Is this safe? And that that's a shitty feeling. And then I, I can look at other communities, other identities and be like, I get that issue with safety to some degree. Like I still have the privilege of being white and passing. Mm-hmm. Yes. But there's always in the back of my head, I'm like, that's, it causes anger mm-hmm. with my colleagues. Like I get angry and I've, that's something I've had to work on. And I, and I think you touched on that too. It's, you know, how do we not confront well, we have to confront the issue, but how do we engage other social workers who don't have to live in these spaces or have to think about these the safety issues, right. the job issue, the, you know, am I putting my family at risk? Am I putting my child at risk with some of these decisions? Mm-hmm. Yeah, my podcast does. Yeah. That's if so, if the wrong person listened to it, I, yeah. So, I mean, so. Where is that um, middle ground? Where, what do I do? And so I just having this podcast and having the Twitter and being open, like I hope people realize that in some ways I I really am putting myself out there and there is risk and you're doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Charla's doing the same thing. All these people, we're putting ourselves out there in the hopes that if we do that, It'll start dialogue, mm-hmm. it'll continue dialogue, and it'll increase safety for everyone. And that's that's probably a big that's that's been my belief my entire life. Like you're talking about your stories and I'm thinking, wow, we really are a lot yeah. like um that's kind of the why social work. Yeah. And why I use myself. Yeah, I mean it's a conscious choice and it's not lost on me that, that not everybody has those choices of whether or not to choose to be safe and not choose to be safe. And I think it creates, I can only speak for me, um, you know, a, a a unique experience because which I, you know, I, I have a great therapist, thank God, <laughs> you know, um, that I talk to about all of these things because um, you know, I do have that privileged cave that I can step back into really at any given time and just sort of go along with the flow. Um, And also that takes a toll, right? So where do I have these conversations acknowledging that that choice is a privilege as well? Um, You know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a tough line to sort of walk. And that's why I say like, I'm sort of on the on the outsides of rooms, but that's not necessarily that there's a certain privilege that comes with that too. Right. So when I'm in queer spaces, it's certainly very sad to me that I, because of the relationship I'm in right now, there is less, maybe this is a felt sense by me. I don't know, or maybe it's an actual um, thing that's happening, but I don't have the same camaraderie with those space in those spaces as I would, or as I have felt with a same-sex partnership. So, or, um, you know, I think, I think my closest friends and family is, family is non, are not white, non-white people. Right. And in those rooms, I have felt more love and understanding (laughs) than anywhere else really. And also I am white. And when I'm with my, you know, biological family, which is predominantly white, I still, you know, I can be seen as, this white person, which I am. And also I come with these other identities and these other relationships 
So there isn't as much of a, there's this, there's just sort of these weird blocks in my ability to connect. And some of those are self, you know, those are those come from internally, internally my own stuff, right? But sometimes it's not. And and that that takes a toll on my nervous system. So I have to be able to talk to somebody and process those things in a way that helps me to move through the world without feeling like I am, um, I think you and I talked about like this analogy I have, like I'm not like this computer that's overheating all the time, also trying to run software at the same time. <laughs> like I just need to be able to cool my system so that I can feel effective in my work and effective in my relationships and truly connected in a way that, um, that I, feel, I feel truly seen and known. Um, but a lot of times that takes a lot of work because I have to tell people who I am and sometimes more than once. So it can be, it can be tough. It's, I, I, talking and listening to like your, that analogy and some of our discussion, I just thought like, this is exhausting, but then I feel bad for being exhausted. Yeah, it's hard. If that makes Very sense. Very real experience. Sure. Because what's like, like you said, that's the privilege piece. Yeah. I feel I have these extra feelings because like I, I have identified these privileges and it's taken a long time and I still fuck things up. Like I still, I say the wrong thing or I misspeak or whatever. And then I think, oh my God, did I just do that? Like, oh no, um, backtrack. I'm sorry. That was damaging even to, you know, my own community. I don't always get it right. Mm-hmm because we're discussing things more thoroughly. We're identifying things. There's a lot of issues within the LGBTQ2 plus acronym. I don't even always know what it is. Um, I know some people in the community complain about it. I'm all for identifying and supporting everyone who's within the community who identifies as queer or all the other letters that are in there. We should. We should be inclusive and we haven't been, that's our history. And so I mess that up sometimes or I use the wrong word or there's better words now and I don't always know them. And like that in itself is exhausting. And I'm like, I'm queer and I get exhausted by some of this. And then I'm like, oh, I feel bad now. (laughs) I'm I'm supposed to be an activist. There's also a lot of racism (laughs) in queer spaces, right? So so if, if, you know, for you and I who have, you know, multiracial families and do a lot of anti-racism work, you know, that's, you can't unsee that. And for, I imagine for you, definitely for me, like it can't go unaddressed. And so again, Mm -hmm. it puts you sort of on the outside a bit. Um, It does, it does for me at least. Um, that, That being said, I have amazing people in my life who know me, who love me, who see me, um, you know, so this isn't me saying, talking about tremendous hardship. It just is what it is. That's the experience I have. Mm-hmm. And um, it just means that re- when I get close to people and I'm developing intimate relationships, there's a lot of layers there that um, that have to really be, you know, taken apart one by one to to create a truly authentic connection. I said this to um, an acquaintance colleague had reached out to me um, as a friend, and but they, they, they know what I do. So they wanted kind of a semi-friend professional opinion. Mm-hmm. They just wanted some feedback on, you know, what, where they should go 
with therapy or what they should do. And they just wanted to vent to someone. And I'm like, that's cool. I'm not, I'm not therapizing you right now. I'm not your therapist. Uh, I might tell you some things because I have this education that whatever. So we talked for a while and one of the themes was you're allowed to have feelings. Mm -hmm. Everyone has feelings. This is what I tell the students I work with. This is what I've told other patients. You're allowed to have these feelings. And so like, sometimes I have to remind myself, I'm allowed to feel this way, but I'm still behaving in a way that is ethical. And if it, if I do mess up, you know, I follow the steps to try to unlearn whatever that is, learn what's not harmful and apologize obviously so it's like we're allowed to feel this way I and identify that yeah I I mean I see things through like through and maybe it's the trauma therapist in me but I think of how everybody has sort of a multiplicity of parts inside of them right and there's a part there's mm -hmm. a part inside of me that is hurt and feels a whole bunch of feelings when I'm feeling disconnected, misunderstood, not seen. Right. And then there's also another part of me that understands that I have privilege that I, you know, those parts are both, Mm -hmm. both very much alive and well inside of me. And, and I am allowed to take care of every part of me. And so if I have to, if I'm feeling some kind of way, it's okay for me to to ask myself, where can I go to make sure that part of me that's hurt can be tended to and comforted so that I can also maintain the integrity of the part of me that understands my passing privilege and understands, um, you know, that to go to a person whose identity cannot be, you know, you can't choose when and where to say who you are or show who you are. You know, I don't go to those, I don't go to that friend for comfort with these things. You know, it just, it helps me to make sure I I take care of myself completely and holistically. And also am aware of where that's, where it's appropriate to do so and with whom. You just explained what I was trying to say. Thank you. Uh, (laughs) That was, that that was kind of where I was going, but then you just said it so nicely. (laughs) And you also transitioned real well into community support and self-care and community care and all that. Cause yes, I do have a group of people of all different identities of all different backgrounds that I can talk to. I mean, I, my husband, I try not to unload onto, but he's there and he sees things and he understands and he's learning things with me and he's unlearning things with me. So it's great that I have a spouse that, um, he has male privilege and that's about it sometimes. Yeah. So he can I he can kind of identify and empathize on some things, but then there's a lot of things that he just doesn't understand. But I feel like we can talk mm-hmm. about some issues together. And then I have a lot of friends and I you and I have mm-hmm. spoken, so it's great to have colleagues out there too that you can just say, Hey, I'm feeling this way, and you know they're not gonna judge you and be like, Well, why are you feeling that way? Or, you know, what what do you need right now? And I really appreciate that. And I really appreciate the community that has been building for the last two years on Twitter and in other spaces that allows us to kind of talk. And we don't all agree all the time. 
And we're, we're, there's a group of people that we're okay with that. Like, I don't have to agree with you right. all the time. Yeah. I don't have to agree with any of you all the time. Yeah. Like, but I also learn a lot Same. from you. And I, I, it's like, I know, okay, maybe that was wrong what I said or what I did or what I was thinking, or, or I just didn't think that. And like, oh, I'm so grateful for you. So even if I get like a little frustrated sometimes with my mm -hmm. own people, uh, it's like, you know what? There's so much good coming from this though. And I appreciate social work cares and I appreciate everyone working on that. And I appreciate all the people coming in and talking more about it because really it's making our, it's making our community a better place, but it's also showing social workers that maybe aren't as visible that we exist and we're here and this is where we're going. Yeah. I mean, just to your point of like there being friction a little bit at times, I think that's a good thing. I remember it makes me think of um, mm -hmm. Michelle Alexander, the new Jim, Jim Crow. There were a few organizer manuals that went along with that. And one of them talked about how we basically need everybody in this forward movement. We need teachers, we need social workers, we need disruptors, right? We need everybody. And I, I, that really just sort of underscored, um, my perspective in activist spaces too, where I, I'll see people saying, no, you have to do it this way, or, you know, you know, you have to do it that way. And, and I've always sort of felt as though we need to do it always. Right. <laughs> and so if we have friction, I think that's a good thing. That means we're coming at forward movement and progress from a lot of different angles. Um, and so and we're feeling uncomfortable. Yeah. I mean, it's that discomfort. We're we're feeling that discomfort, and we're like, all right. So, when I when I feel that discomfort, I have to ask myself, why am right. I feeling this way? And I've I'm I'm at a point probably in my life in my career where I can really reflect on that. It takes practice. This stuff isn't just like, oh no, perfect, perfect advocate. I can I can do all this. I'm an activist. This is great. I'm perfect. No, and I, maybe that's part of the reason why some social workers or the social work profession has had a hard time dealing with this because we're told like we're the best and we should be the best at this and but we're not and that's okay <laughs> like that's culture culture is shifting culture is changing we need to change with it we need to deal with some of these conversations decolonization um anti-blackness um anti-indigenous anti-immigrant all refugee like we have to deal with these things how are we going to do that well step by step yeah. yeah and by challenging our internal awareness and our internal system and our internal bias and you know and and understanding that we all have it it's not like like you're a bad mm -hmm. person if you get something wrong. It's again, I, I, it's it's about seeing that discomfort as as um, a sign of strength that you're doing that work. You know that you're that's the friction that's going to put you your impact and your intentions in line and practice. Right. This takes it, it exposure. Mm -hmm is a big part of it. If you haven't been exposed to these conversations, so that's why I'm so grateful. We're just talking mm -hmm. like uh, we're, we don't have coffee or I did have coffee earlier, but we're not talking at a coffee shop, but this is kind of the conversation we're having. And this is what people should hear right. to normalize this and to have the hard conversations. Like I'm looking back at my podcast and I, I don't know if I actually put it up yet, but it's like, I'm learning things 
with every podcast. And so something I said six episodes again may not hold true right now in this conversation or next year's conversation, because maybe I, I realized something I was saying was not correct or not right, or it was oppressive and it was hurtful. And I'm not going to take down the podcast right. because let's learn from this. Let's have this conversation. Um, but I, this is really important to just normalize this and make this content available for people to listen to. And then there's people out there that's going to feel a little relieved, like, oh, I've been thinking or feeling that. Wow. So I really do appreciate you coming on um, with with not long notice. No, I, <laughs> I just, hey, do you want to do this right now? Sure. That's fine. But it's it's good. I mean, this is this is important. Um, you know, I think people don't know that I'm woefully introverted. Like I'm a very introverted person. So podcasts are a little daunting for me, but, um, but this is, I'm growing in in this way. And I appreciate these conversations a lot because, you know, it makes me uncomfortable and that's a good thing. (laughs) I, most of the, the function of most of my behaviors is anxiety. So (laughs) Doing the podcast was really hard at first. And now it's just like, I'm having a conversation. Sometimes I'm just having a conversation with myself. I like myself, (laughs) you know, (laughs) fine. Um, Is there anything else you would like to discuss, bring up? um, Anything coming up with any of your advocacy that you want to advertise? I mean, you do so much. And I'm so grateful that you're a social worker that you know we've connected that you're my colleague that I can I don't, can I call Absolutely. you my friend are we friends yes. okay that that we're friends I didn't want to just be like I have a best friend and then you're like no that's not right um no, I totally value you. I'm so I'm so grateful for you and all the other people around us and I won't go through all the names but is there anything else you would like to add so you can have the rest of your Saturday back no I mean I think just you know encouraging people to check out the social work cares website I think that's a really great um you know I think we're 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 moving forward and doing some really cool stuff um and also the only other thing I'll say is that everything that I all of my education like everything that I'm trying to sort of put out there in terms of information is not mine. You know, all of this comes from people of color. This is all coming from people that have taught me how to be a better person, a better activist. And something that I'm really striving to do now is just sort of track down the sources of the information that I have so that, um, so that those names and voices are honored and heard. Um, because the, all this information, you know, all this information comes from people of color, you know? So. Well, thank you. Oh, there was one other thing I wanted to ask you. I saw a post about a journal. Yes. Um, okay. So I, that's not my world when it comes to social work cares, but I did post the call for submissions for decolonizing social work. If you go to our Twitter account, um, the social work cares Twitter account, which is SW cares number two. Um, you'll see a link for call for submissions and I'm pretty sure it's on our website as well. So you can get it there. 
Excellent. Yeah, I saw that pop up. And so if any of our listeners are interested in um, contributing to that, definitely look up what they need, what they're requesting and deadlines. Um, But that would be important to get out. Well, Laura, thank you. I appreciate um, your time this morning. And I know we'll keep talking and keep working Absolutely. I hope so. You bet. Take care. Bye-bye.